Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, Monday evening, start of a new week. Let me uh, push my buttons, there we go. I got my buttons pushed. You know how I'm about my buttons. Anyway, welcome everybody. It's good to see you all. We're a little later this evening, but I've got a great guest lined up. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. And I am also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. You can find this at www.californiahaunts.org. But if you're really interested with the radio show, that's a totally different website. So that's californiahauntsradio.com to check us out. Uh, you can see, like right now, we're live there as well as uh, YouTube, Twitter, and uh... <laughs> oh yes, and Facebook. See, I have to be reminded of these things. It's late for me. I've been up since 5 a.m., so that's a switch. If you're watching us from YouTube, please subscribe. You know, and you're new, to, you know, you're new to our show. Please subscribe. Uh, hit the, the, the down the right-hand corner. There's a little um, ghost with a Sherlock Holmes hat on and a magnifying glass. And click on that because that's our mascot. That'll get you to subscribe. We've got over 200 shows there. And uh, you can look and see who our guests have been in the past and, you know, what's going on with us. Anyway, to tonight's guest, he's a professor. I, I am a space nut. You guys know this. You know, not only do I, you know, keep an eye on what's going on with all the rockets and stuff. I, uh, I have a 12-inch telescope. And so I'm out front like everybody else checking stuff out. I'm outside with the meteor showers, you know. I've. I've heard those things whizzing down through the atmosphere, and uh, I'm fascinated by what this gentleman has to say. His name is Professor Gregory Brennica. We're going to be talking about meteors and how they helped get everything started on Earth and whatnot, and you know, and uh, other stuff too as well. But I'm really excited to have him on. And without further ado, let me do this. Hello, sir. Hi. How's it going? Really good. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Yes, doing well. <clears throat> Tell us a little bit about you and how you got into uh, doing what you do, sir. Oh, um, well, I grew up in Missouri, uh, kind of in, in the rural parts of Kansas City area. And uh, I studied geology as an undergraduate. Um, so basically just looking at terrestrial rocks and, and kind of the history of the planet. And then when I got to graduate school, uh, I was introduced to meteorites. And uh, I guess ever since... I started looking at meteorites. I, I never looked back at uh, terrestrial rocks. I, I kept my eyes to the stars and, and uh, you know, really enjoy kind of learning about the history of the solar system and, and everything that meteorites can tell us. Fantastic. You know, I remember reading a book back in the old days. I'm not going to say how old I am, okay? <laughs> I had this set of encyclopedias, you know, and um, at that point, I'll just say that, you know, they were at the point that men were going to go to the, you know, ride rockets to the moon. That, that's where they were at. But I remember seeing something, and I just want to ask you about this. They used to have projects in there for kids. And one of the projects was to go onto your roof and put a white sheet on your roof. Mm -hmm. because, of the, because they said that the metal from meteorites is constantly falling through the atmosphere. So if you got up there with a um, magnet, you could actually pick up the metal. Is that true? Uh, kind of, yes. So okay. that actually does happen. Uh, a lot of the stuff we get nowadays is fly ash uh, and not just meteorites, but we actually add like a, a hundred tons of meteoritic material to Earth every day. 
So the chance of, of some falling under the roof is, is, you know, not zero. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this stuff because I know um, you, you have your book out and um, you know, there's that theory about the meteorite that hit the earth and then di- and then everything changed and the dinosaurs died and all that. But you mentioned um, on another show how the, you, how, how you feel that a meteor had at some point had some, um, impact that impacted life on earth itself which would include the dinosaurs but how it influenced the human race coming up yeah so um i guess kind of there's a lot of meteorites that have kind of changed the influence or changed the direction of humanity and it kind of starts very early on uh you know with the formation of the moon and and we're talking you know four and a half well 4.4 billion years ago um you know so that was probably the first really important meteorite impact uh, that basically hit the earth a, a very large meteorite about the size of Mars uh, hit the earth, uh, which is, you know, kind of hard to think about even the size of that and the, and the impact that that caused. But uh, that's that's in the, how we got the moon. And uh, what that did is kind of blow off the atmosphere of early earth uh, mm-hmm. and, and kind of allow life to maybe develop after that, because otherwise we'd be very similar to Venus and have a, a, an atmosphere that was mostly carbon dioxide and sulfuric acid and things like that, like Venus does. And uh, thanks to the moon forming impact, uh, we, we don't have that. And we have a much cleaner atmosphere and, and kind of developed the way that we did because of that. So that's kind of how it all started. And then, you know, every meteorite impact since then has had an interesting influence, uh, you know, as we go through history. Where is the biggest meteorite impact on the Earth? Um, well, there's, there's probably been many that have been erased due to plate tectonics. Um, the largest one, I believe, uh, is in South Africa. Okay. Uh, there's a kind of a hidden crater uh, that they found while they were mining for basically granite countertops. <laughs> um, so that's how they found it was a, a big crater. Um, so, yeah, I've been out to the one in Arizona. I mean, that oh, thing's... meteor crater. Yeah. That oh, it's spectacular, crazy. isn't it? Oh my God, it's incredible to see. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that at one time, you know, those things were hitting the earth. I mean, you know, like I said, I've I, I've been outside during the Perseids. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can hear them coming down through the atmosphere. They have a certain noise. It's pretty interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And it just amazes me that more don't hit the Earth. Or, or are they hitting and, and we just don't realize it? They are hitting. Uh, the big ones are pretty rare. So the one you're talking about, Meteor Crater, which is a pretty impressive hole in the ground. Uh, that one, you know, happened thousands of years ago. Um but, uh, you know, large ones are pretty rare, luckily, for humans. Uh, but we get a lot of softball-sized ones. Uh, I don't know for, for the viewers that can see. You know, we get a lot of, you know, sizes like this uh, that oh, are coming cool. down uh, quite a bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, the big ones are rare, luckily. <laughs> but they do, they do still happen. That's it. It just, it just blow, it blows me away, you know, that, <clears throat> that stuff. Well, it's going to happen because they're going to fall, obviously. You know, it's like anything else. I mean, look at Skylab, right? Down it came. Um, when you talk about, you know, people like, a, let's go back to the dinosaurs a little bit here. You know, how long, I mean, it didn't happen over, obviously it, 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 there was an impact, but it didn't happen overnight for these things to, to, to go extinct. Or did, it, or did it happen that quickly once the meteor hit? It's, it's kind of hard to tell geologically. I mean, geologically, they went extinct very, very quickly. Um, you know, I think a lot of researchers believe the dinosaurs were already in decline before this uh, impact happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you know, they, there's certainly dinosaurs existed before the impact and then they didn't exist after the impact. So whether it was a direct cause of all the dinosaurs dying or, you know, just a lot of them is, is you know, kind of, to me, it doesn't really matter. It was really bad for them uh, if all of them died out. Uh, right. you, know, you think you think about they had these giant planet or uh, building sized lizards walking around the planet, you know, in the blink of an eye, you have nothing alive that's larger than a basset hound. Um, you know, so it made a, it was a pretty big deal when it happened. <laughs> Well, my question is this. I mean, if the meteor is big enough, like, like you, you were talking about something the size of planet Mars, that could knock the Earth, like, off to the, I mean, off of, off of where its axis or off of where it's at, right? So I it mean, totally flash melts the whole planet. Yeah. So okay. something that large just it entirely melts the planet. So that, that would extinguish all life on the planet for sure. Um, but so hopefully we don't have something that large hit us. <laughs> <laughs> That's just absolutely fascinating to me, you know, to... To think that there's stuff up, you know, still floating above us that size. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of scary. It'll come down. It's just <laughs> luckily, it's luckily, we've identified what we think are most of them out there uh, and paying attention. But it's just fascinating <laughs> and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> you know, it think. is. It is. That's that's life, though. I guess, right? Are there? You know, I, I know this is going to be sound silly to you, but are there like you know, you look at stuff like Star Trek and Star Wars and, and these different shows when when they fly through the the asteroid belts and, and the meteor belts. Are there areas like that up there? Well, I mean, I'm a huge, huge fan of both of those that you mentioned. Uh, you know, one of my, you know, favorite scenes is, of course, the Millennium Falcon going through the, uh, you know, the asteroid, you know, where, the, where that uh, area was. Uh, I think that's maybe a little bit dramatic because they're so densely packed in, in our own asteroid belt. They're not that densely packed. I mean, there's a lot of material up there, but space is huge. It's really, really huge. Uh, so the distance between the objects is quite large. So it's not a problem to, you know, fly a spaceship through it. We've done it many times uh, in, in sending things to the outer solar system. And what are these meteors made out of? A, a lot of different things, actually. There's a huge diversity in what the different meteorites we get are. Uh, and they can be from like the cores of planets, which are basically pure iron and nickel. Um, and then they can be very similar to like a Hawaiian volcano, uh, basalt like that. Uh, you know, there's also things that have never been melted. Um, you know, rocks that basically form from gravity of just gas and dust coalescing in the, in the outer solar system. So there's a huge variety of things that, uh, we don't have on earth or we don't have access to on earth outside of meteorites, which I think is another thing that makes them so scientifically interesting, um, and not just, you know, cool and beautiful. Um, but they're just simply rocks we don't have access to on Earth. And I know there, there used to be, I don't know if they're still on, but there used to be guys on either the History Channel or Discovery Channel that used to go out with um, metal detectors looking for these things. Yeah, Meteorite Men, I believe, was the, was the show for a couple of years. Yeah. 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 I'm just, I mean, I, I, would, I would love to find something like that. It, it would be really, really cool to have, to, to have one. Yeah, it, uh, I've been searching a few times. Uh, yeah. I went out with uh, a few different, you know, professional meteorite hunters, and I was actually able to, to be with Neil deGrasse Tyson on one of his uh, shows on, in Nova, and uh, when I was a graduate student, and we went out looking in the California, in the uh, Arizona desert, and we didn't find anything, but it was fun to just kind of hang out for the day and, and walk around and look. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that would be a blast. I know my brother-in-law and I used to go bottle digging, so it's got to be something similar. So now you use metal detectors to find these things, you know? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, how fast does a meteor travel? They, they have a lot of different speeds, um, but generally you can think of them about 25 times the speed of a bullet. 
Um, so these things are moving real, real fast. Uh, so, you know, some are, of course, a little bit slower and some are a, a little bit faster, but that's kind of generally how I think about it. So it's, I, I, I'll mess it up, but I think it's like 60,000 miles an hour or something like that. Uh, but I always think of it as kind of 25 times the speed of a bullet. Um, wow. It's hard to imagine. It's fast. It's fast. Yeah. I mean, I could think about that because like I said, people don't realize, you know, that someone will make a sound when they come through the atmosphere. You know, that's a weird sound. I'm laying by my house. And I hear this, you know, go down and I'm like, what yeah. is that? <laughs> You're thinking it's close, but it's not because it's, you know, like it's way up like that. Um, for the, let's talk about the moon a little bit and compare that to the earth. Why do you think the moon has had so much more? Well, is it because of the atmosphere of the moon that, that they get through faster, you know, to, to have the impacts it's had it's, or should it around longer? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a variety of things actually. So, um, a lot of it is that the, you know, uh, the moon doesn't have the atmosphere that the earth has. So you're right exactly that uh, they don't burn up in the atmosphere of the moon. But the biggest part is probably that we have oceans and plate tectonics. So, you know, the earth is, is quite large and 70% of it is covered by water. So we don't see the craters that hit the water. And then also, you know, plate tectonics basically erases everything, uh, you know, over time. So we only see the craters that exist on you know, the land that is, is new and hasn't been recycled. Um, okay. So, you know, eventually meteor crater is going to be subducted and, you know, destroyed. Um, so, you know, things, things that happened a couple billion years ago have been erased, whereas that's not the case on the moon. Um, so we see those scars basically forever uh, on the moon, uh, whereas we don't see them forever on, on Earth. How does one study meteorites? I mean, obviously you're not going into space to check these things out. So, you know, as a professor, you know, studying this, how do you do it? Well, um, you're, you're, you're kind of onto something about going to the meteorite though. We, we are doing that, uh, actually right now. Um, okay. so, you know, for, for my job, of course, we study meteorites that have already fallen and, you know, that are collected around the world and in museums and things, but, mm -hmm. uh, there's NASA space missions and then the Japanese space mission Hayabusa just collected uh, part of an asteroid and is bringing it back. So, uh, I get really excited about those two missions. The NASA's is called OSIRIS-REx, um, and they're basically going to scoop up pieces of meteorites that, well, I guess they're asteroids. They haven't landed yet, but they're just basically going to go get them uh, as opposed to waiting for them to fall. So That's very interesting. And so then it comes back to you guys. And tell you, so, I mean, how do you analyze them once you get them? Yeah, so there's a lot of different branches about how people study these things. Of course, with very precious material, you don't want to destroy it until you've gotten all the information you can out of it. So let's say we get a new cool meteorite in, uh, we don't immediately dissolve it. Um, you know, first of all, we will look at it under an SVM or, you know, really get very nice pictures of it and take, you know, use a nice microscope. Uh, and then we make thin sections of it to try to figure out what the mineralogy is. Um, so we kind of go through this process of, you know, non-destructive to more and more destructive until we end up basically dissolving the whole thing to try to figure out exactly what it's made of. Uh, and of course, I say the whole thing. I mean, we only need tiny chips of, of the meteorite generally to, to do this type of work. Um, so we only take small bits of it, but uh, those small bits end up being destroyed. Well, the question I have is how do you dissolve it? Then? I mean, if, if, it's a, if it's a rock or it's metal or whatever. Usually there's just some uh, strong acids we use, hydrochloric acid, nitric acid, things like this. Uh, they dissolve rocks. You just crush it up and, and dissolve it. Okay. 
So you have to deal with a lot of strong acids, but uh, we're used to that. (laughs) And do do they have any um, uh, microbes on them or anything that you guys have to be aware of? You know, because you are bringing stuff from space, you know, to Earth. Yeah, so space is pretty sterile. Um, The UV radiation and, you know, there's no life really on these things, of course. Uh, They have amino acids in them and things like that, but it's not life. Um, so it's, it's not like it's going to contaminate us. Uh, we're obviously more worried about contaminating meteorite than we are the meteorite contaminating us. Um, so we, we try to protect the meteorite, um, from us basically with, with clean labs and and clean lab procedures, um, because we don't want to, you know, drop something on the meteorite and then be fooled that it came from space, uh, when it actually came from, you know, my finger or my hair or something like that. Uh, so, so that's, that's why we put in the clean lab procedures that we do. Are you guys able to, um, do, I don't know if they use carbon dating now or what they use now, but are you able to get like dates on how old these things are? Yeah, actually that's what I normally do. Um, that's, that's one of the the types of, of research that I spend a lot of my time doing is, is trying to figure out exactly how old each of these meteorites are and kind of reconstruct what order they, they formed in. Um, so yeah, we don't use carbon dating because carbon dating only works, uh, you know, for a few thousand years. Um, but there are other types of things that are similar to carbon dating only with different elements, uh, that work, you know, for, for hundreds of millions to billions of years. Um, so what's what's the oldest, huh? Go go ahead. Sorry. No, what's the oldest (laughs) meteorite that you've ever worked on? Uh, the oldest thing in the solar system, uh, which I was fortunate enough to work on is something called a calcium aluminum rich inclusion. And it's actually a little piece that's contained in a meteorite and -hmm. it's 4.567 billion years old. So, you know, over four and a half billion years old. Uh, it's, it's pretty ancient. (laughs) It's a long, long time ago. It's a long, long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it predates the moon by, you know, 200 million years. So uh you know and you know predates dinosaurs by you know three and a half billion so that just boggles the mind yeah it's crazy it is and it started about the same time in the sun and 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 the solids that formed the solar system happened about the same time so it's as old as the sun um you know within error basically uh they they all kind of the sun started and then all the solids started to form and this is actually that's actually how we date the age of the solar system all I can say is, well, that's just, that just blows my mind. That, that that goes back, I mean, obviously it goes far, but I mean, to find, actually find something from that time period is incredible. Yeah, it is. It really kind of puts things in perspective uh, about, you know, you know, like my birthday or something like that. Does that really matter on a geologic time scale? And it, the answer is not, not at all. <laughs> it's just too bad that, you know, we don't have the technology to figure out exactly where they came from. Yeah, we're, we're getting close, though. I mean, we, we have, uh, so you mentioned kind of meteor showers. Uh, there's an interesting study uh, that people have started over the last oh, 10 years or so. Basically, mm-hmm. they set up cameras uh, to try to capture these things flying into the atmosphere. And when you've got, you know, three or more cameras, you can do something called triangulation that allows you to kind of triangulate where the, the streak came from and where it lands. So that allows you to find the meteorite. But it also allows you to calculate where it came from in the asteroid belt. So we actually can kind of calculate back where it was living before it got, you know, jettisoned and, and started heading our direction, uh, which I think is a pretty cool use of, you know, cameras and and, and math. Uh, <laughs> that is that is just so cool. I got I, I should have gone into science. I tell you, that was so. <laughs> 
you know. Yeah, but then, you know, who who would do broadcasting? Come on. That's it. Because I love physical science. I'll tell you that. The, 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 that was my thing in high school, man. I just it's, love this. It's really science. fun, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's a little bit of everything, you know. Um, so how many meteorites have you actually, like, studied? Oh, uh, good question. Uh, I don't know. Probably... 300? I don't know. I'm just kind of taking a guess. Uh, there's something like, I don't know, 60,000 in the world's collections. So there's a lot out there that obviously I haven't studied. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I've probably been involved in uh, a lot, studying quite a few different types. And, and I'd say probably between, you know, two and 300 or so. Um, who tracks that's them? just a random guess. It's <laughs> well, um, who tracks them? Um, so there's a lot of you know, tracks them coming into the atmosphere or tracks them once they've landed and, and like coming to the catalog. atmosphere. Because I know there's always, you, you always get those warnings every once in a while about a super asteroid or a super meteorite. So who, who is doing these? Uh, so there's something in NASA called planetary protection. Uh, it's an agency as part of NASA. So they're basically the ones pointing the telescopes to the sky, looking for, you know, these objects that may cross earth's orbit and, and have a, a serious problem. Um, but they're only looking for things that are big. Uh, there's really no way to track until it enters the atmosphere. There's no way to track something the size of a basketball or a softball or something like that, just because it's not going to, you're not going to see it with a telescope. It's too dark. It's too small. Um, mm -hmm. and it doesn't really cause that much damage unless, you know, it hits you or your car. Um, right, right, right. You know, then of course it'll cause some damage, but the chances are pretty low. <laughs> <laughs> My next question is now, if they're able to like track something like that, can they deflect it with a missile or something to, to keep it away from us? Or, or do we just have to brace for impact? <laughs> uh, so that's another really cool mission that's happening uh, right now is, is basically the DART mission is, is a NASA and ESA mission, which is a European space agency. We're actually testing this capability to, you know, if we see something coming our way, can we hit it with something to redirect it away from us? And uh Right now, they're testing it on, on, a, on an asteroid that's not going to hit us, of course. It's it's not even close. But we're testing the capability and also to see how much it actually changes the uh, the trajectory of the asteroid. Interesting. Very Again, interesting. it's pretty cool use of math uh, to, to be able to, you know, basically shoot up a, a, a rocket, essentially, and hit something that's moving, you know, 25 times the speed of, uh, of a bullet, uh, you know thousands and thousands of kilometers away. What do you like so much about studying these things? Um, I would say just the fact that we're learning stuff about the early solar system that we didn't know before. I guess it kind of goes back to any scientist is that you're just looking for answers and uh, you're, you're just trying to figure stuff out. And, you know, we try to go into these with no preconceived notions about what was going on and just take it where the data leads us. And, uh, I think it's just really interesting to, you know, take a piece of the early solar system and try to figure out what, what happened. I, you know, kind of like to look at it as like a forensics exercise and, uh, you know, you're, you're just kind of trying to figure out what happened. Um, Let me ask you this. I don't I've seen the moon rocks and in, in, in that, you know, <clears throat> on display at the Smithsonian and whatnot. Is there, I mean, what's the difference between say the rocks on the moon and an asteroid? Well, the rocks on the on the moon are, are quite depleted in a lot of things uh, because of the giant impact um, mm -hmm. that, that caused the moon. So they actually have a lot less iron, for example, than a lot of the meteorites. Uh, they have a different type of rock. Uh, so it's a it's a very 
Uh, Plagioclase is the mineral, uh, which is which is very common on the moon. Um, so they have a, a different mineralogy, and they have a lot less uh, volatile elements uh, in most cases. Okay, okay. I think they're a lot lighter too, aren't they? They're a lot lighter in color. Yeah, they are. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. and that's the plagioclase because it it contains a lot of you know light colored minerals, um, things like that. So you know, on, on any during any given week, say here on Earth. There's meteorites falling all the time. They're just not big enough for us to notice, right? Most, yeah. Yeah, like I said, there's about 100 tons that are happening every day. Uh, you know, most of them are just really small, of course, and they're, you know, sand-sized particles that are falling on people's roofs, and they don't, you know, they're never noticed. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, occasionally we do get, you know, and every day probably there's something the size of a, a softball or something like that coming down. And, you know, most of them, of course, go unnoticed and, and unseen. Um, mm -hmm. But we're adding a lot of, a lot of meteorites every day. My other question is, too, you used to hear of a lot of meteorite hits, like, out. I'm not, I hate to say Russia, but some of those, you know, some of those villages way out. Mm -hmm. Is that just because, you know, there's like, because we're so busy here in the cities, we don't notice that stuff. Whereas, is it because, like, like I said, it's a village in the middle of nowhere, you know, and that's probably why they notice it more? Well, I mean, you know, if it's a village and it, there's a lot of, how do I say this? There's a lot of space out there. And, uh, you know, Russia's huge, for example, you know, the middle of the U.S. is huge. Uh, and, and if you don't have light pollution, you know, from Chicago or from Moscow or something like that, uh, it's easier to notice these types of things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so that's that's one reason. Um, but also, you know, just the, the vast majority of land is rural areas. So, right. you know, you think, oh, it's in the middle of nowhere. Well, the middle of nowhere is like 95 percent of the planet. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, so maybe that's maybe that's why. <laughs> and it makes me wonder, like even around my own neighborhood, you know, not all the time, but there's certain times of the year where you'll hear an explosion and nobody knows what it is. Mm -hmm. And it always makes me wonder whether or not, you know, something impacted. Yeah. I mean, so there's actually a lot of uh, what are called meteoritic airbursts. So mm -hmm. it's a meteorite will, or a meteor will be coming in and then blow up. Uh, in the atmosphere because it's you know heating up so much as it going going through the atmosphere so you won't necessarily get chunks of that meteorite but it'll make a big bang See, uh, and you may get really small chunks of it of course but it won't be a large meteorite that you know makes any damage or anything like that but you'll still hear it uh, so that that definitely could be something that is happening. See that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot more sense because yeah there's <laughs> it's not so much now but I think it happens a lot like like you said <laughs> I think it happens a lot during like the Perseids and people don't realize it because I see a lot of reports come in over next door and stuff you know, like that. Mm -hmm. There's explosions nobody can explain. So it makes sense. That's cool. I'm learning so much tonight. <laughs> so are, are you a backyard astronomer too? Um, you know, I'm not that much of one. I love looking at, you know, astronomic news and, and astronomy reports and things, but I don't have a telescope. I, I guess I let other people do the work for me and I just reap the benefits of, of what they find. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I think it's really cool, but I just never really, you know, got into it and, and bought a telescope and, and started doing it myself. I just, you know, I've got some friends that do it and I enjoy going over there and looking at their telescopes, but I, I haven't done it myself. What's a typical day like for somebody like you that, that, that studies these things? Oh, uh, <laughs> prepare to be bored. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I, I guess a, a lot of it is uh, chemistry. So, you know, when we get one of these things and you, we talked about radio, radiometric dating. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, in order to get 
like for instance, I've I've worked on some Martian meteorites and to try to get the age of these Martian meteorites. What you do is basically separate the uh, the different mineral fractions from one another. So you end up crushing the meteorite really gently to try to separate, you know, plagioclase from pyroxene and you know all the different minerals that exist. So that takes a lot of time. So you have to sit there under a microscope and pick out the different colors. Uh, and then of course you have to clean that and then, you know, dissolve it in acid and, you know, then separate the elements that you want. So, you know, that process itself takes, you know, months to, you know, sometimes even a year to do that, to get a, to an actual age of a meteorite. And then of course, after you finish the chemistry, there's the mass spectrometry, which is how you basically create the data of, of what elements are in there. Um, so now my question is this too. I just thought about that when you said a Mars meteorite. Is there are the ones that hit Mars different material than the ones that hit here? Probably not. So they found quite a few meteorites that have hit Mars uh, as they were driving around with the rovers. Um, so they basically would drive around and say, "Okay, that's a meteorite we just found." Um, but they're all from the asteroid belt for the most part, so okay. they're made of basically the same materials. I mean, of course, there's a wide diversity of stuff, like I said earlier. Uh, but there's no reason that it should be any different that lands on Mars that lands on on Earth or the Moon or something like that. Yeah, I was just wondering because Mars is further out. You know, if maybe there's they're coming from some other direction or just some other area. To, yeah, to although within the solar system, we're pretty close to Mars. I mean, you know, we're 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 neighbors essentially. Uh, you know, when it when you think about how far out things are. Uh, mm -hmm. It's it would be like, you know, going to your house or your neighbor's house, uh, you know, and, and coming from from Paris. <laughs> so now that you guys have and once you guys study these things, what do you do with them? After we study them or yeah. um, usually we only, you know, let's say we need to, to look at a meteorite. We would buy, I don't know, five grams of it, something like this or get it from a museum. And okay. usually we, we use what we get. Uh, and then, of course, if there are leftovers, we, you know, leave it for later studies or if we need a comparison for a different study, you always end up with a little bit in your drawer left over. But uh, we usually use what we what we ask for, uh, for the most part. Of course, I've bought a few of my own just for for fun and, you know, they're nice display things. Uh, but uh, but the ones that we do for for study and for academics, we usually use most of the meteorite that we ask for. Um, wait, I see. I just lost the question I was going to ask about that too oh what is the most um interesting meteorite that you've studied so far Ooh, that's a good question uh like picking picking a favorite child or something right uh i would say to me murchison meteorite is probably okay. the most interesting that i've worked on um because it contains a lot of these really old things that i uh, was talking about earlier the the oldest things in the solar system but it also contains a ridiculous amount of organic material um, and I don't, I don't mean organic material in that, like it was life, but it, it contains a lot of things that are the building blocks of life. Um, so like amino acids and, and, you know, parts that make up our DNA and alcohols and ketones and all these, you know, biological type words that are thrown out in high school biology. Um, there are a lot of them are contained within Murchison meteorite and, and similar types to that. And, and when I learned that in graduate school, it just blew my mind that there's stuff out there that is formed in space in the outer solar system uh, and then brought to earth or brought to the terrestrial planets and then probably seeded life itself, uh, you know, as, as basically the raw ingredients, not necessarily bringing life, but bringing the ingredients that allowed life to, to kind of get, get started. Um, so that's, that, that's probably my favorite meteorite. See, that blows my mind too, to try and wrap my, wrap my head around it because 
because it's, it's literally a rock that has hit the earth. So what happens when it breaks apart, it mixes in with the soil here, or it mixes in with the water, and then it just, you know, starts to create life, or how does that work? Well, that's a great, I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, your early earth was was a location that that probably was, you know, very reduced atmosphere. So there was a lot of uh, energy available. Uh, and then you've got, you know, kind of this organic material that's raining down uh, all the time. And, you know, it finds water, it finds a, a kind of a happy place. And then how life gets started, I won't even pretend to say that I know. Right, but right, I, right. I do think that the the ingredients came from meteorites. That's neat. That That is really neat. Show us your meteorite again. Somebody wants to see your meteor. All right. All right. So this is uh, this is just an ordinary. Well, I don't know if you can see the camera here. This is just an ordinary chondrite that's been cut in half. Uh, so you can kind of see some some differences there. And I've got another one. This one is uh, an iron meteorite. Uh, let me open up the bag here. So this one represents kind of the center of a planet. So if you can kind of see the, uh, let me get the camera up to it. You can kind of see the uh, different minerals in there. Uh, so those are only formed at really high pressures and temperatures. Uh, and we can't even do this on Earth. We have to, we can't kind of fake this. It, it only happens in the centers of, of planets and asteroids. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. It's basically just pure iron and nickel. Um, okay, so now my next question. So you, you just opened up a, a can of worms on that one. How does it get from a planet? If it's formed on, if it's formed by a planet, is this a planet that might have exploded at some point? Yeah, so probably it ran into another planet uh, or planetoid, uh, planetesimal, something like that. So you've got... You know, things that are not as large as the Earth, probably, but you've got a lot of asteroids out there that are quite large and have these iron cores, and they run into each other, particularly in the early solar system. And that's what breaks them up. And then they, of course, fly around the solar system for a while, and then they end up crossing Earth's orbit. Um, so, yeah, exactly. It was, it's a kind of a failed planet or a planet that, that blew up uh, because of another collision. Cool, cool, cool. Let's see if we got some questions here. Everybody's loving this. See, I knew they would. <laughs> See, Jennifer says that's awesome. See, I'm telling you, people are loving this. All right. Um, so I was so excited to get you on. So you wrote a book, right? I did. I did. In fact, I have a cot here. I'll show this and you can talk about it. There you go. Boom. See? All right. That's it. So, yeah. Talk about your book. <laughs> Uh, so the book is, is you know, as you can see the title, How Rocks from Space Led to Life, Culture, and Donkey Kong. Um, it's just kind of a discussion of why meteorites have kind of set the stage for planet Earth uh, and the life on Earth, but also how they've, you know, kind of changed how we developed as, as humans. Um, and that, you know, of course, goes from the destruction of the dinosaurs and the rise of the mammals and, and how that all happened. Uh, you know, but, but also kind of once we became humans, how they influenced religion. Uh, you know, how they changed the ancient Egyptians, how they changed in Mesopotamia, you know, all the different uh, kind of inflection points in, in Christianity or, or Islam um, and, and the different kind of ways they've changed uh, human culture. And, you know, I just found it to be a really fascinating subject. And I thought, uh, you know, other people might find it interesting as well. So that's kind of right. why I did it. And I, I tried to I tried to do it to, uh, you know, a general audience of of smart people, but not experts in meteorites. Uh, and uh, I hope I hope anyone who picks it up uh, enjoys reading it. And I, I did all the little, you know, cartoons on my own. So I, I did a lot of figures on it. And I think, uh, at least I like to think it helps uh, explain these types of topics. So, Well, now that you said that, how did it change, uh, you know, human culture? 
Um, well, I mean, you know, religion is, is certainly something that a lot of people, uh, you know, follow on, on earth. Uh, and, and actually two of the most followed religions, uh, Christianity and Islam would be non-existent or, or very, very different religions if it weren't for, you know, cosmic interactions, uh, like, like, you know, meteorites or, or meteorite impacts. Um, and, you know, just for one, one story, I think is really interesting you know, the story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, which is, you know, the story of, of, of how, you know, in the, in the Bible, uh, an entire city was destroyed because uh, they were doing some sinning. Uh, if, if, you know, I can paraphrase the, the story uh, very quickly. Um, but what probably that was, was a meteoritic airburst. And, uh, you know, there's, there's some excavations going on right now uh, in, uh, I, I think it's in Syria, maybe, um, that uh, people believe that they found the ancient cities of, of Sodom and Gomorrah and it was from a meteoritic airburst. Um, you know, so, so there's, you know, layers upon layers of stories like this, that, you know, these, these events that happen in the Bible or, or uh, in the Quran um, about, you know, kind of the physical explanations for them often come from the sky. Uh, you know, the star of Bethlehem was a comet, uh, you know, so these types of things are, you know, certainly stories in the Bible uh, and, and other religious texts, but they have physical meanings and they have, you know, kind of reasons why they existed. And, and, and you know, the, the timings that uh, these things happened are, are really interesting in how they kind of changed how religion was developing. That's interesting. My question I was thinking about, when you look at something like the um, crater in uh, the, the crater in Arizona, mm -hmm. when that thing hit, is that, I mean, did it go underground or did it just blow to pieces? A little of both. And we're actually not 100% sure, to be honest. So the the original, um, you know, thought was that there was be there would be a large iron mass under the crater. And, mm -hmm. and actually the guy that, you know, tried to mine that he wanted the, the iron for it. Um, so they, they dug quite a bit and they never were able to find it. And so if it's down there, it's difficult to find. Uh, so it probably broke up a lot. Uh, they found chunks of, of the meteorite all around the area. So probably what happened is it, it got really close to the earth and it hit the earth and then went into a bunch of different pieces. Um, and it was a, it was an iron meteorite similar to the one that I held up earlier, uh, similar to this one. Um, you know, so it was, it was a very large iron meteorite and it was probably the size of a school bus or something like that. Um, to think that, well, I guess the velocity it was coming in, you know, to cause that big of a crater like that. It's fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's. I mean, you've been there. You see, you know, how big it is. And there's a picture in the book about like the, the visitor center, which is, you know, a, a normal size building. And you can barely even see the visitor center. It's, a, it's a, a shot from the sky. And then there's this huge crater. And then you think about the the size of the meteorite that made that. It was smaller than the visitor center. And, and it's just absolutely remarkable to think about something that large or that small comparatively making that big of a mess. Absolutely. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, you would think this thing was like super, super duper duper huge. Yeah. yeah it's not that big compared to the size of the crater for sure. I mean, that's nothing. Yeah. When you look at the crater, that's yeah. crazy. I don't know if you guys have been out there, but if you, you need to go to the Arizona crater because it is something, something, you know, to behold. It is pretty cool. It is really cool. So are you um, planning on going out to any sites or anything? Um, uh, not right at the moment. I mean, uh, you know, I guess I enjoy meteorite hunting, uh, and, and certainly really like going to various craters. 
Um, there's, there's a lot up in Canada and there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of great creators around, but, uh, I guess I, I thrive in the lab. Uh, I'm very, I'm not as good as finding meteorites as I am, uh, picking them apart and dating them. So I, I guess I spend my time in the lab instead. <laughs> Other people are better at going to find them. So I let them do that. Now, how long does it take to pick one apart like that? Um, some we don't pick apart, so they're easy. We can just kind of grind them up and then and then measure them. So that can be a matter of days to weeks. But if you're really picking them apart, it can be months to sometimes six months to a year. Um, so it takes a long time. But, uh, you know, in the end, it's kind of cool to get the data and figure out how old something is or, you know, where it came from in the solar system. Now, you know, I always, like I said, I have this vision of like around the dinosaur time of the Earth getting hit by something so big that it actually knocks us off kilter you know to mm -hmm. change everything i mean is that a possibility from from the earth's past or or is that what happened on the moon you know or, or other planets when you get hit by a very large meteorite that, that certainly changes uh you know the velocity of of the uh planet things like that so it definitely can change where you kind of sit relative to the sun uh mm -hmm. something small is not going to make much of a difference though um so even even something like what killed the dinosaurs that's not going to change the orbital orbital dynamics of the earth. It's just going to cause the atmosphere to be very, very different. And the, the climate basically is going to change drastically very, very quickly. Okay. Yeah. So unless it's really, really big, it's not going to change our relationship to the sun. But, uh, you know, I think, I think probably the, the one that caused the moon forming impact mm -hmm. probably changed how we, you know, kind of orbited this, the sun, but, uh, it's, it's unknown at least to me how much. As a as a scientist, do you have any desire to go up, actually go up into space and see these things firsthand? I'd love to. Yeah, I would love to. I'm not trained to, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would be a danger to myself and uh, those around me. But uh, I would love to do it. <laughs> You'd be the guy in the space suit going, "Oh, let me out a little farther. I want that one." Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I I'll let again. I'll let the professionals do that. The men and women that do that uh, for a living. I think they're far more prepared for it than I am. <laughs> I just find I just find like like you say the ones that go back billions and billions of years I just find that so fascinating because when you yeah, think about I mean it, the, the 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 depth of time that we're talking about is just difficult for the human brain to comprehend and I'm totally with you it's they're old <laughs> that I mean that yeah that just boggles my it it even boggles my mind to think that you know where even even like where Mars is even or even Jupiter. That 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 you're looking at something back in time, even with that. I mean, the light coming from all that stuff, mm -hmm. you know, already happened millions of years ago. Yeah, well, not not so much Jupiter and Mars, but things beyond our solar system. That's sure. absolutely correct. I mean, if you're looking if you're looking at different star systems, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're looking back in time. What what happened, you know, a million years ago, and uh, it's it's pretty wild to think about that. I mean, our solar system is relatively small compared to the distances of, you know, James Webb and, and Hubble. Um, that we've seen these these really deep space, deep time type things. Uh, you know, within our own solar system, it only takes, what is it, eight minutes, eight seconds. Now I'm embarrassed. I can't even remember. For light to get to the uh, to the Earth, it's eight, whether it's eight minutes or seconds. I think it's eight seconds. But uh, yeah, that's as far as, as basically we're looking back in time for, for our own solar system. But uh, for, for distant solar systems, it's really a long, long time. I think of that movie Explorers that was out years ago. When the aliens came and they were still, the aliens were watching I Love Lucy because that's what they thought we watched here. Oh, because yeah. that's the TV stuff that was, that, 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 you know, that's the, the stuff. Exactly. That yeah. Them, yeah. You know? That's funny. 
But uh, what you do just fascinates me and, and, and the whole study of it. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I, uh, I certainly enjoy it, and I'm glad other people uh, are, are enjoying it as well. Now, do you teach at all? Do you teach people, you know, to... to I don't to... teach classes. Uh, I've got students uh, that I do research with, um, but I don't, I don't teach classes right now. I'm, I'm at, uh, I'm not really at a university where I'm in a national laboratory, so we don't really teach classes there. We just do research for the most part. Wow. So how many times, I mean, how often do you get samples to work with? Um, we generally try not to overload ourselves with work. So, you know, we try to have maybe two or three projects going on at a time. You know, my working group basically will have two or three projects we're really excited about. Um, so we'll be working on two or three at a time. Um, you know, so for instance, we just published a paper about, you know, the origin of, of water on the earth and, and moon system, you know, and, and so that was, we were looking at rocks from the moon to do that. So that, you know, took, I don't know, six months to a year to kind of do that. And, you know, in conjunction with that, we were working on a couple other meteorite projects. But, you know, I, I can't uh, I can't do too much at once. And my my colleagues and I, we don't want to overload ourselves. So, you know, a couple projects at a time is, is basically what we can handle. When you talk about flying, about, you know, like biological things on these meteors, is water some of that? Do you, I mean, are you, like, like you just mentioned water, are, are you able to find, you know, um, the little... The, dry droplets of water. So actually meteorites are really interesting. So especially the ones that formed in the outer solar system, uh, like Murchison I mentioned earlier, uh, it's got about 15% water, 20% water in some of these cases. Wow. And that's that's like a like a sponge that's not really rang out very well. Uh, you know, like a dish, dish, dish sponge or something right. like that. So they're really quite wet. Uh, and, and a lot of that comes from ice that uh, from where they formed. Uh, there's just a lot of water in the solar system and a lot of water in the galaxy and the universe. Um, it's just we don't have that much of it in the inner solar system because the Earth, excuse me, the sun's so hot and it kind of drives it off and, and evaporates it. But the the outer solar system is quite wet. Uh, there's a lot of water in a lot of these meteorites. Yeah, water is the basis for life, too. That's what makes you wonder about stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, makes you makes you really think that there's got to be life out there in other solar in other stellar systems because all the ingredients are, are pretty easy to come by. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, assembling them in the right ways, of course, is is the trick. How that happens, I, like I said, I'm not going to pretend to to have that answer, but right. we do know how the ingredients are are made, and they're pretty much everywhere in the galaxy. I just find it fascinating that you guys can pinpoint where these things come from because. I mean, they, they've traveled millions and millions of miles, you know, through space. Yeah. Yeah, it is cool. Uh, it is cool. I, I agree. <laughs> but, you know, if you, if you know, we know the asteroid belt and uh, and we can take the, you know, look, something called the spectra. So basically like what the rocks look like uh, and, and you can kind of match that up with the meteorites uh -huh. as well. So, you know, we know where most of the loose material is in the, in the solar system, and that's in the asteroid belt. And that's where we get the vast majority of our meteorites. Uh, there's a few that come from the moon, and there's a few that come from Mars. But, you know, 99% of them probably are coming from the asteroid belt, uh, which is between Mars and Jupiter. Um, For people that want to look at, like, an asteroid shower, I mean, we all hear about the Perseids, but there's other ones throughout the year, too, right? Yeah, there are some other ones, some other minor ones. Uh, most meteorites don't come during those types of showers, though. They just kind of come randomly. Uh, you may get a lot of kind of dust and things like that, and that's what gives you that nice show. Uh, but most of those are not going to come down as meteorites. They're too small. They usually burn up in the atmosphere. 
you know, most of them are grains of sand size, uh, but you still, you still get that show because they're coming in at such a high velocity and then burn up. Um, so it's like a, like a firework, whereas you never, you never see the firework after it falls, falls down um, because it is just burn up. See, that's the other thing I find amazing. Like you say, it's sand. I mean, when you think about the space shuttle coming through, you think about a space capsule coming through, or even like when Skylab crashed. I mean, you think of big things like that catching fire and putting on a show, but I mean, to think that they're the size of a grain of sand. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you can get, you know, you when you're, you know, looking up, uh, you know, stargazing at night and you see a, a shooting star, you know, that's not a star. That's the size of a sand grain. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just craziness. Yeah, it it's is so pretty wild. What you have to say, I mean, this is this is this is just mind blowing. It really is mind blowing. What's the biggest meteorite that they found on the Earth? I believe it's the Hoba meteorite. It's found in southern Africa. I will say, I think it's in Namibia, uh, and it's so large they haven't been able to move it. It's just a huge iron meteorite block. Um, so you can go there and you can kind of wander around it and sit on it and look at it, but it's just a huge, a huge iron block, uh, basically. Um, and, uh, it's, it's big. <laughs> Imagine what the impact for that sucker was like, boy, man. It was probably pretty good. Yeah. It's, I, I'm <laughs> guessing it landed a long time ago and then it's kind of been uncovered by erosion. Um, I, I, I think they, they've certainly studied it and know when it landed, but I, I don't know it off the top of my head. I just, I just, yeah, I just, it just, wow. You know, just, just thinking about this gigantic rock coming from, you know, up there and impacting, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, it kind of reminds me of like somebody dropping a bowling ball off your roof. Yeah. Only at 600,000 miles an hour or 60,000 miles an hour. <laughs> That's a big bowling ball. Yeah. It's a scary thought. It is a scary thought, you know, to know these things are doing this. How frequent, I mean, like I said, you know, we talk about the little pieces of sand, but for the bigger ones, how frequent do, do they fall? Or is there a pattern? Like, you know how volcano, like, like, like um, volcanoes will erupt in a certain time pattern, things uh -huh. like that. How frequent do these big ones fall? Um, you know, it's hard to say. We don't really know if there's a pattern to it because humans have not la or existed that long. And we certainly have been studying these things for more than, you know, 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's hard to say, um, looking back at, you know, kind of layers of earth, there are certain time periods in which we see more meteorites, uh, of significant size. Mm -hmm. And probably what happens is that you've got, you know, two planetesimals that collide in the, in the, uh, asteroid belt, and then material starts coming toward the sun and we get in the way. So, you know, in those cases you, you do see more and, but those are on the kind of the you know, hundred thousand year time frames. Uh, you know, it's hard. It's not like more come in March or anything like that. Right. Um, right. So, you know, from a geologic perspective, human time scales, there's no real difference. Um, but when you talk about geologic time scales, maybe you see increases. Uh, you know, when you have large impacts that happen in the in the asteroid belt. And I was just thinking, it might be a good indication too that we are doing stuff to our atmosphere. You know, because like like, like the moon gets all those impacts because the atmosphere is so thin. I mean. People, you know, the scientists like you can keep an eye on that and see, well, gee, we're starting to get more of these impacts. Let's look at the atmosphere and see what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that's, you know, I'm not I'm not sure how much atmosphere we're changing that quickly uh, that it would impact the uh, rate of meteorites, you know, kind of surviving. Um, but that's actually something I never thought about. That's that's an interesting point. Yeah. You know, Um. 
What do you like to tell people that that, that want to get into studying this stuff? Do it. Yeah. <laughs> if you're interested in it, do it. Uh, there's, you know, even if you just want to look at them, you can find meteorites on eBay. You can find them at, at museums. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of meteorite dealers that that uh, you know you can you can find them on eBay and, and buy them and then look under them a microscope and you can find something interesting. I mean, there's so few people that study meteorites. Even even just somebody with a, a microscope that's not you know fully trained in it can make some really important discoveries uh, and and make really important things happen in science. Uh, so much like you know people that that study the stars and and find new comets or, or things like that uh, for amateur astronomers. Uh, if you're interested in meteorites, just buy a couple online and, and, and a microscope and you're going to find something interesting. You're so enthusiastic about this. I mean, <laughs> if I was around you, I, I, I would really be studying these things because you just draw people <laughs> in with your enthusiasm about it. I mean, you obviously love what you do. I do love what I do. Yeah, I do. It, I think it's great. What do people, um, you know, say you meet somebody like, and this is just a random question. You meet somebody on the street, they ask you what you do. What's their reaction usually? <laughs> they just keep walking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I mean, most people are pretty interested in, in the general topic of meteorites. Uh, most of them go, that's a job. Um, but, you know, yeah, there's a lot of jobs. You know, I make the point in the book that, you know, there's, there's more people that farm alligators in Florida than the study meteorites. And, you know, so, you know, if, if there's, if there's room on this planet for people farming alligators, uh, there's room on this planet for people studying meteorites. And the way I look at it is if, if we care about where we came from, then we have to study meteorites. And because that's ultimately where we came from, right. Uh, you know, at some point back, you know, at the beginning of the solar system, if it wasn't for meteorites, we wouldn't be here. So, you know, I like to, to think of it as just studying our, our own history. Um, and a lot of people do that. Are you ever um, taken aback when you find something that just like, like we talked about that one that was billions and billions of years old? Mm -hmm. I mean, does that stuff really impress? I mean, you know, as a scientist, scientists aren't supposed to be impressed easily, right? You guys are supposed to be stoic. And so oh, we're impressed all the time. That's why we do it. We're, it's just exciting. I mean, we're like little kids. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, this is so old. Check it out, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that's just really cool. I mean, it's just, I, I mean, I just think it's, I never thought of, of really, you know, cutting these things up and studying them and dissecting a, a rock. <laughs> I just think it's so cool what, what you do. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what do you think, you know, as far as like, like, and I know that I, I know they're all rocky material. Do, they, do you think the iron ones cause more impact than the others because they are iron? They do have more like damage when they arrive. Yeah, uh, because they're, you know, they're like a bullet. Uh, they're, they're made of bullet type material, iron and, and nickel. You know, bullets are made of lead, but it's still a, a very dense metal that's coming down. So, you know, they make a pretty big impact and they, they certainly cause a lot of damage uh, compared to some of the ones that break up a little bit more. Um, you know, so yeah, it matters with, with what type of meteorite is, is actually happening for, for how much of the crater is, is cost and things like that. When you talk about it being like a bullet, it reminds me of, of like buckshot. You know, I see, I see these guys with their yeah. muskets loading their rifles, you know, and, the, <laughs> and but they're just like giant buckshot coming down out of the sky. Yeah. If you turn into the ground and shoot the ground and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my, I've just, you know, I've learned so much and I know everybody else has too. I mean, what are the chances, you know, because you're always hearing these reports about these, these big meteorites that are, that are coming close, you know, definitely close to the earth. What are the chances that something's going to come that closer or, or impact? Again, you know, it depends on the time scale. The chances are very good that it'll happen in the next billion years. But mm-hmm. on a human time scale, pretty low. Um, you know, luckily, you know, these things are rare. And, uh, you know, on, on our time frames, you know, 100 years, 1,000 years, things like that, it's pretty low. Um, but it's going to happen. I mean, it's mm-hmm. happened many, many times over the history of the planet, and it will continue to happen. Um, it's just, are we around to care is, is right, the real right. question. Well, that's the thing that you hear all this about Planet X, you know, and the asteroids that are going to hit and blah, 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 you know. And like I feel like you, I mean, it's just it's 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 a fluke thing when, when they do, you know, get that close if they come that close. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is. <laughs> but statistics always win. Uh, there's a lot of rocks out there and we're going to hit one eventually. Uh, but. You know, I guess just have fun while you can, and and you know, <laughs> don't worry. don't don't sweat the stuff falling out of the sky. It's all that's good. right. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Worry <laughs> it's going to happen, and you know, hopefully not while we're around. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Okay, what um, what do you have to say to people who actually want to go out and find these things, like the meteor men? Um just enjoy hiking. I mean, you know, you're probably not going to find one every time you go out. Uh, you know, you can kind of do your research and find out where people have found them in the past. And that's the best place to look. Uh, you know, the easiest place to look is, is places where there's no vegetation or, or very little, uh, you know, other rocks. Uh, so dry lake beds and things like that are, are the best places. And of course, you know, if other people have found them in the past in those areas, then likely they broke up and there's, you know, many pieces still yet to be found. So that's that's the easiest place to find them, um, but they're not easy to find. Uh, you know, uh, they're just you know if you if you like going for a hike, then go for a hike and you know kind of look at the ground a lot. <laughs> and take some shovels. Yeah, <laughs> take some shovels and large equipment to pull them out of the ground. <laughs> okay. Well, most of them aren't that big, so you probably don't need too much equipment. So. <laughs> um, how do you feel about like you know like like? The, like the show like that meteor men i mean because you know those guys were going out looking for this stuff mm-hmm. i mean did they portray it correctly or or did they make it you know you know how tv channels can be did they make a mockery of it or did they pretty well play it straight you know i guess it's, to me it was fine um you know they they're out there they're not making stuff up they're out there hunting for meteorites and that's totally fine uh i guess they were monetizing it of course because that was their job you know, they find a meteorite and say, cha-ching, this one's worth $600. Okay, well, it's worth a lot to scientists. Uh, it's hard to put, you know, numbers on what that's actually worth. I mean, of course, you can sell it on eBay for $600. Right. Um, you know, but but to me, I just need a slice of it and I can figure out, you know, how old it is or something like that. So, you know, I guess at some level it's, it's good because it makes people interested in meteorites. Uh, mm-hmm. But at some level it's bad because then they look at it as a commodity as opposed to knowledge. Um, so, you know, I guess I see both sides of it. I think it's, it's great that people are becoming interested in it. Um, but is it, is it something that's just a commodity, like finding a, a nugget of gold or something? Uh, it's worth, it's worth more scientifically than that to me. Um, so. Okay. All right. So what's next for you? What's next for me, man? I don't know. Uh, I just, 
I'm enjoying the ride right now. I'm enjoying, uh, you know, I enjoyed writing the book. I enjoy doing the, the work that I do. So I'm going to continue doing that while I can. Uh, and if something else comes along, then I'll, I may pick that up too. But, uh, you know, I just, I just like studying meteorites and, and talking to people about them. I think it's a cool thing to do. How can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, I guess. Greg Brennica, at Greg Brennica, uh, is, is probably the easiest way to find me. Um, and then, you know, Google is something that exists too. I can be found on Google. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. I learned so much tonight. I was dying, literally dying to get you on because I wanted to talk to you about this stuff. I've been, like yeah. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a space nut and this kind of stuff fascinates me, you know, just like the thing with learning about the sheet, you know, on the, on the top of the house and all that. Yeah. But thank you so much. And I really appreciate you coming on, sir. Well, I'd love thanks to a lot for having me. And thank you and everybody else. It's a space nut. Cause I'm right there with you. Uh, it's really cool stuff. And I really appreciate you talking about it. And I would love to get you on another time, you know, later on to talk more about this at some point. So, okay. Keep me posted. All right, sir. Thank you. And have a good day. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, okay. That was a fun interview. And I don't know about you guys, but that was fascinating. Just seeing those, meteors from space you know that's just that's something that's something tomorrow we're shifting gears Stephen gregory is going to be on with us he's an award-winning journalist and he is going to be talking about unsolved crimes and uh, he has his own uh, podcast about that and and so he's going to be joining us tomorrow and he'll be back at the regular time at 6 30 p.m i want to thank everybody for joining us tonight in fact i'll put a link up here to um to, to, to Professor Brennica's book so you guys can find it because it's available on Amazon and it's something that I'm going to be reading too because like I said I, I'm, I'm a space nut and I want to read all that stuff and read as much as I can about it alright if you like the show share it with five people if you hated tonight's show share it with five of your enemies we're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio also uh, subscribe to our again please subscribe to our YouTube channel you know we've got more than 200 videos on there and they're all shows and uh, different topics and we're real proud of what we've done so subscribe 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 and you know we are a non-profit organization and like everybody else you know we have costs and expenses and if you could help us out a little bit with that that would be great that would be at paypal paypal.me at california haunts or if you have issues with paypal go to venmo and type in california haunts and you know, and, and, and just drop us a little bit there. You know, we'd really appreciate it because we want to keep bringing this show to you. And the equipment you see comes out of my pocket. But we want to keep bringing great guests like like the professor on and, and the others that we have on. Okay? But anyway, come visit us at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. And don't forget that we're going to be doing a public ghost hunt with us called Ghost Tour where we take you out and show you or you get to use all our cool equipment. We even have some of the equipment that they use on TV. I'm not going to mention the show, but you know the show that 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 show with the G with the GA that uses all that really cool equipment. We have some of that stuff and you'll get experience doing that. And uh, we'll either be in a haunted hotel or we'll be out in a cemetery. So I mean either way you're going to get a treat because we, you know, don't give our give our equipment out to just anybody. And if you do happen to get any evidence, we will use it and put your name on the website and you get credit for it so there you go all right anyway i want to thank you guys for coming tonight i will see you tomorrow and i'm going to go ahead and run his information here we go so his profile and everything is at harpercollins.com and of course the book is impact 
how you know so be looking for that and it's available at amazon there you go And again, thank you guys so much. I will see you tomorrow at 6.30. Bye.